Let's bow our heads for just a time of silent prayer. Amen. It was April the 14th. And I woke up in the morning and I says, I think I'm going to do my taxes early this year. I'm going to do them on the 14th rather than the 15th, the way I usually did. Because when you're a pastor, you've got to take your own tax money out. Don't take it out at the office. And I hadn't taken out enough, and I knew I hadn't taken out enough. So I had already gone to the uh, loan agency, and I had borrowed enough, and so I did my taxes. And when I finished, I felt a little bit good. And the reason I felt a little bit good is because of the fact that I had overestimated how much I was going to have to pay, and I didn't have to pay that much. How many think that makes you feel good? And I said something to my wife about it, that I said, uh, our taxes are about $300 less than I thought. Isn't that nice? And she agreed with me it was nice. Not only was I the pastor in that church, but I was also the Pathfinder leader. And my wife has always been a good pastor's wife, and uh, her part in the Pathfinders is that when we'd get new kids in the club, she would measure their neck and their sleeves and their waist and their inseam and everything. And then she would send off to the warehouse where you get the uniforms because she had grown up in a poor family and didn't always have things that other people had. And she didn't want these kids in the, in the club without having a uniform. I think my wife sounds nice. And we had had a few kids join the club recently and she had done her duty and filled out the form, sent the money away. Well, anyway... After I'd got my taxes all done and in the envelope and the stamp on it, the address and the check in it, uh, I headed off to prayer meeting. There's some of you know who Adam's friendship is because I was prayer meeting at that, that town that night about 40 miles away from where I lived. And uh, for prayer meeting that night, we were studying out of a book called Steps to Christ that you've heard me refer to and you've heard me refer to this particular statement. And I told you the first time I referred to it, I'm going to say it so many times that I want you to memorize it. It's one of the most beautiful things I've ever read, but this is what it said. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, then no matter how sinful your past life may have been, for Christ's sake you are accounted righteous because Christ's character stands in place of your character and God accepts you as though you had never sinned. Now, how many have it memorized yet? No hands out there. Get on the stick, you guys. How many agree with me? That is a beautiful thought, isn't it? The realization that when you accept Jesus as your Savior, the very moment you do that, you stand before God as though you had never sinned in your life because God the Father worked a miracle and all of the sins you've ever committed were placed on Jesus and Jesus died for them. And when you accept Jesus, God works a miracle and he takes all the good things that Jesus did and he gives you credit for every one of them. And you stand before God as though you'd never stand. Have you got it memorized yet? Work on it. It's good. Well, anyway, I, was feeling, I always feel good when I think about that thought. And prayer meeting was over and I was on my way back home. And then I remembered my taxes and I was kind of glad that that was done too. And then the thought hit me. Oh, no. I live in Wisconsin. Not that that's a bad thing. But in Wisconsin, you have to pay state income tax too. That's why I'm keeping Texas license plates on my car because you don't have to fill out forms. They get it other ways. But, uh, and I thought, well, I've got $300 and it'll probably come to about $300 and I can fill it out tomorrow. Aren't I glad I did it on the 14th so I have time to do the state taxes on the 15th? 
And I got on home, and my wife had already gone to bed, but she wasn't asleep yet. And so when I came in, I says, we really don't have the $300. I says, I got to pay, pay state income taxes. It'll probably come to $300. Now, when I was going to college, I took a class about marriage counseling. And you probably already know the number one thing that couples fight about. Money. How many said money? That's true. Number one reason couples need counseling is because of money. And we're no different than the average couple. And uh, my wife is such a sweet, generous person that if someone needs some money and she doesn't have it, she'll go down and get a high-interest loan on her credit card just to help them out. But don't try it. I'm a, I'm a skin flint. So anyway, when I got home and I told her, we, I have to pay state income taxes, she said, UPS came with the uh, Pathfinder uniforms, and it was $289, so I wrote them a check, and I thought, you can get money from the Pathfinders and reimburse it. What she didn't know is the Pathfinders didn't have any money at the time. And the Bible says, the sun should not go down on your wrath. How many have read that? Be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. But the sun was already down before I got mad, so I figured I had about 21 hours to be mad without sinning. And uh, I said some things about, haven't we talked about this before, and you shouldn't write checks with y'all. How many know what I'm running off at the mouth? And uh, anyway, we went to sleep. She was feeling bad, and I was feeling angry. Anybody know what I'm talking about, or is I'm the only one that ever had that happen? Anyway, I woke up the next morning, and the first thought that came to me, it's April 15, I owe taxes, I can't pay, serve my wife right, if I'd go to jail and she'd have to raise the kids all by herself. <laughs> How many have ever had a pout and you say, I deserve to pout, I'm having a good pout and don't interfere? Anybody besides me ever do that? Now, there is a text that's very near the one that was just read, but we usually don't put this text with... Because the, the scripture that was just read, it says, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus. How many remember he read that just a little bit ago, right? Well, just a few verses later, there is another text that says, work out your own salvation. And uh, we look at that, and if you're a legalist, you say, yeah, work out your own salvation. And if you believe in righteousness by faith, you think, what does that mean? How many have ever looked at that text and wondered, what does that mean? Well, I'm explaining to you what it means. Because anyway, while I was laying there in bed, feeling sorry for myself, can't pay my taxes, my wife's fault. How many know the devil gets in your mind and makes you, keeps you all stirred up? Any other betty ever been mad? All right, well, that happened to me. And, but when you're a preacher and you're upset with your wife, it's just real hard to minister to other people. And I was trying to think, now, what am I going to do today to justify the conference sending me tithe money for my, because I get paid, how many know pastors get paid by the tithe money? That's sacred money. And I knew I was in no mood to go out and minister to people. And I thought, well, we haven't lived in this house very long and I haven't unpacked my boxes. You know, pastors have a study and they have lots of books. And so I thought, well, today I'll, I'll call this an office day and I'll unpack my books and I'll get my office set up and my filing cabinet all set up and everything. And at least... Uh, I won't feel guilty about accepting my, my check, but I sure don't feel like talking to anybody today. And anyway, while I was laying there, mad at my wife, feeling sorry for myself, and worrying about the money, the Holy Spirit caught up with me. And the Holy Spirit said, 
Bob Stoffer, what did you talk about in prayer meeting last night? And I knew the Holy Spirit was interfering with my pout. And he said to me, what did you talk about in prayer meeting last night? And I said in my mind, when you accept Jesus as your Savior, then no matter how sinful your past life being, and the Holy Spirit says, why don't you say it slower? So I said it slower. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, then no matter how sinful your past life may have been, for Christ's sake you are accounted righteous because Christ's character stands in place of your character and God accepts you as though you'd never sinned. And when I said it slower, the Holy Spirit said, Bob Stauffer, did you ever accept Jesus as your Savior? And I says, well, yeah, I did. He says, well, do you still accept me right now? And I says, well, I'm worried about the taxes and I'm mad at my wife for spending the money, but I don't want to reject Jesus over this. Then the Holy Spirit says, well, if you don't reject Jesus over this, then, and you accept him again right now, how do you stand before God right now? And I thought, I stand before God as though I'd never sinned in my life. Now try being mad and thinking about that at the same time. You'll do one or the other, but you can't do both at the same time. How many can see that? And I've discovered that when I start thinking about salvation and God's precious gift of his son to me and the gift of eternal life, I start thinking clearer. How many know that's true? You take your mind off the problems, you put it on Jesus, you start thinking clearer. And I started thinking clearer. And I thought, go ahead and fill out the papers for the taxes. Send it in. Three or four weeks, you'll get a nasty letter from the state. And they'll, they'll say, pay your taxes. And they'll find me $15, $20, That's all that'll happen. And so I got up, pulled on my clothes, went out to the kitchen where my wife was fixing breakfast. I put my arms around her. And I says, I was a jerk last night. I says, I made a big deal out of something. How many agree with me I was a jerk the night before? How many agree? Yeah, all the ladies raising out. I said, I was a jerk last night. I said, all that will happen is I'll just have to pay a penalty and it won't be too much and, and uh, that'll happen. And then I was feeling good. How many like to feel good? I was feeling good. And so I went out and visited somebody. How many have ever read the text of the Bible that says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things. And you see, putting your mind on heavenly things when you want to be mad at somebody is seeking first the kingdom of God, isn't it? And rather than staying at home and pouting all day while I unpacked my books, I went out to visit a church member. And the first person that I visited had been, years before, a Pathfinder leader. And he had retired from that. But when he got there, he knew that I was the Pathfinder leader. And once a Pathfinder leader, you're always interested in Pathfinders. How many Pathfinder leaders out here will agree with that? You're always interested in that. And so the first thing he asked me is, how things going with Pathfinders? Well, I told him about the new kids, but I didn't tell him about the uniforms and the money. I kept that to myself. And this fellow said, I've been saving some money. He said, I'd like to pay for their uniforms. And he handed me three $100 bills. And I reimbursed myself, and I paid my taxes. Had I stayed mad, I would have had to pay a penalty, and I wouldn't have gotten that $300 that day. How many with me? Now, I want you to go there to the book of Philippians. And it's Philippians chapter 2. Let me get there. There it is. Philippians chapter 2. It's verse 12 that I want you to look at. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we know from the Bible plainly, Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9, 
you do not earn your salvation by your works, not by works of righteousness which we have done, it says in Titus 3, but according to his mercy, he saves us. So what does this text mean? And what I believe it means is when you put it in the context. Remember the context back here? You, in my Bible, you turn back a page. Maybe yours not, but you go back to uh, verse 3 of chapter 2, and it says, well, let's go down to verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And as you read on what it's talking about, it says, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be what? Was Jesus God? Yes. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And in the Old Testament, there is a prophecy about Jesus, and it says, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And I ask kids this, did God ever have to have his diaper changed? Yeah, he was a baby once. Did God ever drink milk from his mother's breast and have to be burped over his mother's shoulder when he got done? Did that ever happen? Most likely. Did God ever have to have a, a piece of sawdust get out of his eye and go run into his mom? Oh, I got sawdust. How many think that part of it would have happened? Or a sliver in his finger and his mom had to take it out. This man who suffered on Calvary's cross was God. And it says in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things that were made were made by Him, and without Him was not anything that made was made. You get down to verse 12, or first verse 14, and it says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, even as the only begotten of the Father. In the wilderness, when there was a pillar of, of fire lighting the way to the children of Israel. That was Jesus. In the mountain when Moses received the Ten Commandments that God wrote with his own finger. That was Jesus. He's the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And he said of himself, before Abraham was, I am. Which is one of the main names of God. He is the eternal existent one. He was not created. He has always been there. Amen? And it says, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery be equal God, but made himself of what? No reputation. He came here, and it says in Isaiah 53, he had no form, he had no beauty, and when we would see him, we would not desire him. Jesus came, and he was rejected pretty much by his own people. He was spit on, he was whipped, and he was killed. And it says that. He made himself of no reputation, he took on himself the form of a servant, and he was made in the likeness of man. And the servant, a better translation, is slave. And verse 8, And being found in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. And then it ends up by saying, not just any death, not just a comfortable death in your sleep. Jesus suffered the absolute worst kind of death that one human being has ever devised to, ex to put on somebody else. We have a book at home that a doctor writes about the excruciating pain that people were crucified, and the Romans exercised their authority by sheer terror. And when somebody would break their law, they would nail them to the cross and hang them up there for everybody to see and think, if you do anything wrong, this is going to happen to you. The suffering was unbearable. And it is right for artists to leave him with a, with a little bit of covering on 
But when you read the history, they stripped them with, there was nothing. And they lost control of the muscles in their bladder, and they lost control of the muscles in back, and and the, the shame and the embarrassment and the flies in the mouth and in your ears and in your nose, and you can't... The mighty God subjected himself to that so that he could save us. And there's a song that says, he could have called 10,000 angels, but he died alone for you and me. And when the soldiers came to arrest Jesus, Peter was there and he pulled out his sword. And Jesus says, put away your sword, right? Put away your sword. I could, I could call upon my father and he could send thousands of angels and rescue me. But Jesus did not use his divine power to bail himself out of a human situation. Amen? He placed it in the hands of God. He subjected himself to God so that he could be the Savior of our souls. Amen? That's why Jesus did it. Now, it starts out by saying, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And then it talks about how highly exalted is going to be, and Jesus is going to be more highly exalted than even he was before. And in heaven, did you know that there's going to be one man-made thing in heaven? I'm a little bit surprised. There is. There's going to be one man-made thing in heaven, the scars that Jesus will bear forever, and we will see them there and realize he did that for me. And we will worship him for that. Then you come down to verse 12 of Philippians 3, and it says, Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? And what I believe it means is that when you are going through hardship, we human beings, when we're going through hardship, especially when our hardship is inflicted on us by somebody else. We will do one of two things. And both of the things we're trying to do, we have one thing in mind, make them stop. Am I right? If someone is irritating you, whether it be physically or or emotionally, the number one thing is you want to stop. And the way the human beings deal with that is, I'm going to cause you more hurt than you're causing me, so the next time you think it causes me hurt, you're going to think twice before you mess with me, brother. Am I right? That's what we, and, and the other one is, if we don't think we're big enough to do anything about it, how many know what the word smolder means? And you see, in the human economy, they only think of two things. You either lash out and get even with them, and if you don't get even with them, you hold it inside and smolder. And you will read psychiatrists, and they will say, it's actually better to get it out and blow your top than to keep smoldering, because you keep smoldering, you're going to get ulcers. How many have ever heard that? What they don't understand is that there's a third alternative. And you see, we usually, how many have heard the phrase, think outside the box? And we think it's either this or this. It's either get even, it's either blow your top, get even, get it off your chest, and blah, 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 or, or, or hold it in and get ulcers. Bless your heart, there is a third alternative. How many know there's a third alternative? And this is exactly what this text is talking about, trying to appoint us to the third alternative. And when it says, work out your own salvation, when I read that, I asked myself the question, how did that salvation become my own? Obviously, it was a gift, right? Salvation is a gift. 
And you cannot work out your salvation until you have some salvation to work with. And the reason I told that story about my sweet wife and the money is because I didn't realize it at the time, but the Holy Spirit was causing me to work out my salvation. It says, rather than dwelling on, you can't pay your taxes and blah, 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 all that stuff, you take your mind off of the problem, and if you're enjoying a good pout, and to take your mind off of it and put it on something else, how many agree with me, that is work. And my sweet wife, once in a while I'll get upset about something, and she's heard this sermon several times in two, and she will say, what did you preach about? I say, don't use my sermons on me. But she does, and it, and it does work. Now, I remember another situation I was in. I was visiting a person who did not like preachers, and he particularly didn't like Seventh-day Adventist preachers. And boy, he just blew me away for about an hour, just all the things that were wrong with Adventist preachers and all the things that were wrong with Adventist church and what a bunch of hypocrites they were. I have a t-shirt that says, Lord, put your arm around my shoulder and your hand over my mouth. And apparently that day he did because I wanted to say something and it just wouldn't come out. How many think that's a good thing? But I was smoldering. And I went home. And how many have noticed that after something like that, you can't think of anything, and after the situation's over, then you can think of all kinds of things. Well, you just wait, I should have said... And how many know that it is really, really hard not to think about it? Well, I went to bed that night, and I had an important appointment the next day, and I couldn't sleep because my mind was just churning. And I kept, and I thought, I've got to get some sleep. And I tried not to think about it. How many have ever tried not to think about something, and you think about something by trying not to think about something? Amen? And I discovered that night what this text means, work out your salvation, because God had already given me the gift of salvation. All I had to do is take my mind off what had happened that day and start thinking about salvation. How many know that was hard? That was hard. There was a wrestling match going on inside of my head, and you could just almost feel it physically, and I would try to start thinking about Jesus, and Satan would drag me back to what this guy said, but you can't let him get away with that. Are you, I see some of you smiling. You have been there, huh? And I, it was back and forth for an hour. It was midnight. And I finally decided I'm going to start singing Bible verses, right? And my poor wife, I woke her up. And the next thing I knew, it was morning. And I think what happened is the devil thought, well, if I can't get him to think about what I want him to think about, I might as well let him go to sleep. Now, how many knows what it means to work out your own salvation? You do not earn your salvation by your, what you do. God gives you salvation as a gift. And you know as well as I know that it says in the book Steps to Christ, Satan is constantly seeking to steal away the blessed assurance of Jesus. How many know that? You see, Satan doesn't care what you think about as long as you're not thinking about Jesus. Now, I want you to look up the text. I referred to it before. I'm going to refer to it again. It's 1 John chapter 3 and verse 6. And it says, He that abides in him sins not. And for years I looked at that and I tried to figure out what does it mean not to sin? Because I, like everybody else, had come to the conclusion not sinning is an impossibility. You can't do that. So I was trying to figure out what does the Bible mean when it says not sin? 
You know, is that just a little bit? How much sin is that? And finally, one day I was praying about this text and the Holy Spirit says, stop thinking about sin. Start thinking about abiding in Jesus. And you see what most of us do is we spend our time in orbit around sin. I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do this, and if I don't do this, it's going to be a sin. What we need to do is to go into orbit around what does it mean to abide in Jesus and try to abide in Jesus. And I'm, I, how many have ever prayed about your sins? I've prayed about my sins. Dear Jesus, help me to stop doing, and then I list a whole lot of stuff, and by the time I get done, I'm thinking about it, and I'm tempted already again. And he tells me, start praying, Lord, help me to abide in you. Help me to abide in you. And that is where you use your willpower. You use your willpower to look at what Jesus has done and to choose. I'm going to think about what Jesus has done. Now, I want you to go to another text. Though I want you to come this afternoon, I want you to go back and read through Philippians. And by the way, I want you to read a chapter in the book, Ministry of Healing. And if you don't have one, we'll get you one. I don't remember which chapter it is, but it's way toward the end of the book. I think it's about five chapters before the end of the book. And in that book, the chapter is entitled, In Contact with Others. Read that. Last church I was passing up in North Dakota, a man called me on the phone, and he was upset about something that really shouldn't have happened. It was unfair and everything. And he says, what do you think I should do? And I says, well, the first thing I want you to do is get your book, Ministry of Healing Out, and read this chapter, In Contact with Others. And in there... There are some verses, there are some places that say this, that when you are having a conflict with someone, you should do all in your power to conciliate others as long as it doesn't violate principle. It says if, if, if they treat you and talk to you angry way, what does the Bible say? Return a, a soft answer, turns away wrath. And then there's a statement in there that says, like Israel of old, we say, Lord, if you're with me, why are all these things happening to me? And the very next sentence says, it is because God is with you that these things happen to you. Trials and tribulations are God's appointed means to perfect your character. And it says, as long as we are in this world, how long? As long as we are in this world, we are going to meet with, with hardships, with, with rudeness, with unfairness, and it's by meeting these in the right spirit that the Christian graces are developed. And I know the Bible teaches love one another. We need to, I need to preach that, amen? Because that's Bible truth, love one another. But every time I preach that, little voice in my head says, that's the truth, but it ain't going to happen. How many know it's not going to happen? Now, I should love people, but I should not go around expecting other people to love me. I should expect myself to love them no matter what, how they treat me, Amen? And in churches, we ought to love each other. How many know that there are times that Christians have a bad day? How many know that Peter took his eyes off of Jesus for a while? Let's suppose that another church member, it could even be a pastor, is having a bad day, and for a moment he's taking his eyes off of Jesus, and he blurts out something that hurts your feelings. Do you know what that chapter in that book says about that? Now, this is strange, and if you don't want to hear it, put your finger in your ear right now. But here's what it says. God, is in His infinite love and wisdom, often allows those in whom we place our confidence to disappoint us. That could even be preachers that will disappoint you. I don't plan on doing it, but it could happen. 
But it says, God in His infinite love and wisdom often allows those in whom we place our confidence to disappoint us so that we can learn to make our trust in God and God alone and not in human beings. And I've had that happen to me. There was a person I had all kinds of confidence in. I thought, they can't do any wrong. And one time they disappointed me. And it kind of shook me up a little bit until I read that and I thought, I should keep on loving this person. Amen? But get your peace, your love, your joy and strength not from another person. You get it from God and God alone. And I'm convinced that the only people who are going to make it through the time of trouble are the people who have come to the place that they have established a relationship with Jesus Christ that is so sweet and so good that it doesn't make any difference how people treat them, even if it's other church members. Their peace of mind, their joy and happiness is based on the relationship with God, not on the relationship with other people. It's our relationship with God that influences other people. It's not our relationship with other people that should influence our relationship with God. Amen? And I remember one time I was talking to a man, and he was a member of my church, and he hadn't been there for several years. And I was visiting with him, and he told me what had happened. And someone, he says, and they still go to that church? And I, and I knew them, and I thought, they're having a bad day like I have a bad day sometime. And they said something to this fellow that ticked him off. And he says, not going to go to church with people like that. And I said to him, do you suppose that the devil knew that if you kept going to that church, sooner or later you're going to hear something that the devil didn't want you to hear? How many know that true? You keep going to church, sooner or later you're going to hear something the devil doesn't want you to hear. And so the devil wanted to make sure you quit going. And so he took advantage of this person's bad day that day, got him to say something to you. I says, it worked pretty good, didn't it? And he didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. And as I mentioned two weeks ago when I preached, how many recognize this is page two of that sermon I preached a couple weeks ago? I, didn't I tell you at the time I'm not done? I got bad news. I'm still not done. The Bible is full of this kind of stuff. But what I said in that sermon is the devil uses this temptation on Christians. He uses this temptation on born-again people. He uses this temptation on people who are really close to Jesus. Do you know why he uses this temptation? And do you know why he's so successful? Because it worked on him and he was perfect. And there were a third of the angels in heaven who were created perfect. And Satan went around to them and he says, God's not really fair, you know. And he went down to Adam and Eve and he says, God's not letting you have really good stuff. How many know that this is the very temptation that Satan uses on good people? Amen? He wants you to think, I'm not being treated fair. I've come to the conclusion, I'm not interested in fair. I'm interested in mercy. And some of you have already said to me and heard it several times, how are you today, pastor? I says, nobody in the Fox Valley Church treats me the way I deserve. Praise the Lord for that, because if they did, I would be crucified. How many want to be treated fair? You better hope you don't get treated fair, because what happened to Jesus is what we deserve. Amen? Jesus was treated as we deserve so that we can be treated as he deserves. Amen? Now, how many know what it means to work out your own salvation? You take your brain. Now, there's a text that I've got a loose translation on. It's 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 13. It says, gird up the loins of your mind. How many have heard that text? How many know what the rest of the text says? See, I didn't know it either. I just said, gird up the loins of your mind. It says, be sober and hope. So you take your mind, 
And rather than thinking about the unkind things that were said or the unjust way that you've been treated, you take your mind, you work out your salvation, you place your mind on hope. You keep thinking, look what Jesus has done. You know, Satan wouldn't have become Satan if he had done that, would he? When he started, when he first had those thoughts, you know, I should have been over. If he had been thinking, yeah, but look at all the good things God does. And he started thinking, God has done this for me and this for me and this for me. Is that working out your own salvation? Now, how many know I'm not done with this sermon? I think I've got three more sermons on this subject. I may hold them until I think I need them, and then I'll give it to you again. Dear Jesus, when Satan sends things or even people into our lives, help us not to allow anything to get our attention off of Jesus. Help us to do what Peter says. Take a hold of our brains by the seat of their pants and say, you're going to think about Jesus. You're going to thank Jesus for his goodness. You're going to thank Jesus for his gift of eternal life. And you're going to let the love of Jesus shine out from you, even to those who torment you, like Jesus did to those who tormented him. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for giving us permission to thank you for your gift of eternal life while we still live in this earth. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.